Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies in the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, March 12th, a ton of Indian Wells underway. We're going to talk about all of it. Joining me to do that, he is a Cracked Rackets contributor, a former Denison superstar, and recurring member of the Mini Break podcast, Jamie McDonald. Jamie, welcome back. Appreciate it. Feels great to be back. It's happening pretty often. No, you're going to host your own day, and this is a plug for you guys if you want to listen, if you enjoy you know, what Jamie says today, and I think you will. You will enjoy his episode tomorrow. He will be hosting the Wednesday edition of this podcast. Now, that may change from time to time, but he is definitely going to be hosting tomorrow, and he will be a recurring host as we do this podcast. So if you enjoy him, if you just enjoy this product, please be sure to listen, rate, subscribe, review, share it with your friends. We want to know, is this something the tennis community is looking for, this sort of daily update? So any feedback you guys could provide would be much appreciated. If you want to catch up on anything else in the, going on in the tennis world, check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. Check out our other podcasts, The Great Shot Podcast, as well as The Cracked Interviews Podcast, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We are everywhere now with content that we think you all will enjoy, so be sure to go check that out. But, Jamie, in the spirit of the mini break, in the, keep, in the th- theme of keeping things short, let's get into the tennis. Let's so, do it. Let's start with the match that I think you know. You know there were there were two really definitive matches that stuck out, and those will be the two we talk about in this breakdown section. The one I want to start with, he was everyone's breakout star of the tournament. It's not often a guy can go from playing a lifetime of challengers, then he plays his first uh, Masters event, gets through qualifying, wins his first round match, wins his second round match, and now of course wins the first set against a top fifteen seed. Of course, I am talking about Marcos Giron, whose Cinderella run ends at the hands of Milos Raonic. Raonic wins the match 4-6, 6-4, 6-4. Jamie, I know Giron took that opening set, but did you ever feel comfortable that he was going to win this match, or did you always think, you know, Raonic, he, he's probably got this in the end? I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd ever say comfortable, um, especially <laughs> in that third set, though. I did think he was going to take away. I'd take it away. I really did. You know, he had that 4-1 lead. Um, he was looking good from the ground. Ronic was looking irritated. Um, there were many points that either, you know, Milos came up with some sort of bailout shot or just didn't look in it, either mentally or physically. And I thought, oh, this is it. He's going to capitalize. He's going to run away with it. Um, but credit to him, you know, he uses experience, uses his sort of veteran status on the tour, and he gets it done. And it wasn't pretty by any means on his end, but he did it. What was amazing to me for Marcos Giron in the first set, the set that he wins, he made only 47% of his first serves. And it was so fascinating because Raonic, obviously, everyone knows his strategy by now. He's going to take chances, be aggressive, both with his return, with any look he gets in the middle of a rally. He's willing to take big forehands inside in, big forehands inside out. Obviously, he's trying to run around his backhand as much as possible, move forward as much as possible. Yet still for Giron, I was so impressed by his ability to play defense. His forehand on the run is really something to watch. And yeah. even though even though you know you look at some of the stats from this match, he makes sixty seven or fifty seven percent of his first serve points in terms of Giron. That that's not going to get it done when you're playing an aggressive returner like Raonic. Wins sixty two percent of those first serve points, fifty six percent of his second serve points. But you look at the flip side, Raonic sixty seven percent first serve percentage wins seventy eight percent of those points, six. 64% second serve points. He has 12 break point opportunities to Giron's four. 
as great as Giron was, he really never found a consistent way to dictate against Rayonich. And as inspirational as his effort was, as great as he was, you know, taking some balls down the line, making Rayonich uncomfortable, he just didn't have a consistent enough weapon to take the ball off of Rayonich's racket. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's why Milos is so good, right? I mean, he just takes the racket out of your hand. Um, you know, in that first set, Milos let him in, right? I mean, he, he had that, sir, he just sort of had that breakdown in his service game, and there's a set, and that cost him that first set. Um, luckily, he was able to rebound, but, you know, that's that's why service percentages and statistics around the serve, especially of the opponents of Ronich, can be so misleading is because really – you know, even if he's kind of dominating and hanging in return games, if he has that one breakdown on service game, you know, it doesn't matter because the break's there and boom. You know, Ronich isn't the best returner, like you said. Um, he does like to return aggressively. Um, that's not necessarily great for him all the time. He misses some returns, um, overcooks him. You know, once he gets to do a rally, he might not be the best guy from the baseline. However, his serve is one of, if not the best on the tour. So, you know, he gets it done with the serve. I don't know. That's what gets him through this match, ultimately. Yeah, and, you know, I, I agree with you in the end. He just has too many weapons, too big of a game for Giron. But on the Marcos Giron, and we can end this match here, he is in the live rankings a career-high 171. I, I think I read somewhere the prize money he's getting from this event is going to match, if not exceed, the total prize money he had won into his career up to this point. Such a monumental moment for him in a time where coming across ATP points is so difficult for players on the challenger level with all of the changes structurally going on. I I don't know. I guess a a last thought on him. You saw his level. You saw what he's capable of. Do you think top 100 by the end of this year is a realistic goal for him? Do you think, oh, maybe qualify for a slam or two? You know, what should we be looking for out of him moving forward through the rest of 2019? Yeah, I mean, I think top 100 is realistic. I mean, look, when you saw this guy, he didn't look out of place. You know, if you, if you were telling me the rankings, that would be my really only sort of barometer for, yeah, this guy, you know, shouldn't be out here, right? But with his level of play, especially, like you said, his forehand on the run, some of those passes he was coming up with, he didn't look like he was in the wrong place, right? You know, um, and sure, maybe he didn't have the most experience out there, but Man, tennis-wise, he held up, and so that's why I think that you know he can sustain that throughout the year for sure. This run is a testament to how high the level of play is on the challenger circuit, and we'll talk yeah. about that a little bit more later in the pod, but Marcos Giron is not the only guy at that level who could have a run like this, and so two casual fans of the game, if you don't watch the challenger tour, check it out. It's livestream.com backslash ATP. There's always a match going on there. I promise you will enjoy it. We will see mar- more from Marcos Giron on that circuit, and we should certainly look uh, be looking forward to it because his level of play has been so inspirational. M- maybe two players whose level of play in this tournament just what they've accomplished given the context of it maybe even more impressive than Marcos Giron Yoshihiro Nishioka and Felix Ogier-Alassim who match up in this round play probably score-wise the most thrilling match of the day Nishioka taking it 6-7-6-4-7-6 of course this was really a flipping of the tails Ogier-Alassim was up a break I think it was 3-1 in that second set then Nishioka goes up 5-1 in that third set sees his lead evaporate the match goes to a third set breaker I mean Jamie I'm I know you were really pulling for Nishioka in this and you were not happy with his fumble towards the end of the third but just the level we of play we saw from both of these guys so so impressive 
it was an exceptional match. And I don't know if I would be too bitter to say that had Nishioka not pulled it out, but (laughs) (laughs) it was, it was a good match. You and I were talking and and texting during it. Um, God, I mean, the the level of play was so high here. Um, And it was great to, you know, for FAA comes off of a great win. You know, he's pulling momentum after beating Tsitsipas and, it's just exceptional to see an 18 year old sustain that level. Right. And, you know, for him, obviously disappointed and he thinks this could have been a real opportunity in this section of the draw. Um, but ultimately besides maybe some loose points here and there, perhaps going for too much at some points, I I mean, there's not that much he can look back on and be like, Oh, this was bad. I mean, he had a tremendous comeback. He's down one five in the third gets all the way back to that tie break. You know I mean? There's not much you can say that, you know, he should have really done differently. I don't know. I think the difference between them in this match, the first thing that comes to mind, how slow these Indian Well courts are playing, it played right into Nishioka's hands. As True. big of the weapons as Ojeolasim possesses, it's so hard to hit a winner on these courts. And, you know, again, he's an 18-year-old kid. As as thrilling as it is, he makes unforced errors. I think you were yeah. joking around. You're like, he's got to have at least 60 unforced errors. Well, in oh, this match, the, the way Nishioka forced Ojir Alassim to be the aggressor, to sometimes have to take additional chances because, you know, Nishioka was so good at working. And I'll, I'll get to Nishioka in a second. But my, my point is, for FAA, yeah, the flashes are, are there and— Given how much of an effort it took for Nishioka to win this match, if you're looking long-term, you just have to like FAA's upside. But there are things you can definitely improve on. 13 aces is great. 8 double faults, not as good. 59% first serve percentage, okay, but probably not going to get the job done. 68% on the first serves for a win percentage. That was not as high as he was having earlier in the round. You know, against Tsitsipas, I think it was 80 in his first round match, 80 as well. And then the big thing where he kind of got exposed, that second serve, uh, FA only 43% of his points won on the second serve. And I think that kind of speaks to the things Nishioka was doing so well. He works the outer thirds of the court so well, opens up the court for himself with angles, just backhand-wise, he's not afraid of the short angle. The amount of topspin he produces on the forehand, he produces great angle with. I don't know. I know you love Nishioka, and I got criticized uh, by this for, from Rothman yesterday for this take, but do you see top 20 in Nishioka's future? Does he have that sort of game to where that's a reasonable expectation for him? I don't know. I mean, I think one thing that he definitely does have going for him is just his age. You know, those top guys are on the way out. Some of those dominant veterans are on their way out, so that's definitely going to open up some space. Um, I mean, It's not impossible. I mean, sure, yeah, you look at the guy, like his frame, his style, like his power, you know, a lot of people will doubt it. Um, I I don't know. Top 20, I'm not sure if he can sustain that sort of thing. What do you think? I just think given the amount of skills he has on the court, the the forehand backswing's a little big, and we saw at times FAA could jam that side with pace. He would set himself up for an easy forehand that he'd go inside in, inside out with. So obviously that's a concern. But the way he was able to play with different elevations over the net by himself time, when he's on the run on either the forehand or backhand side, he seems to just always go deep center. But the depth he was able to create, at least today, it was so impressive. I mean, those defensive skills mean something. It's going to be fun to see him move on the clay. That's true. You know, you look at the yeah. st- statistics, he makes 73% of his first serves, that's good, but he only wins 59% of those points, and, you know, he wins 60% of his second serve points. He's not going to get a lot of easy free points, but the way he yeah. changes directions, 
I don't know. He plays enough offense where two out of three, great for him. Three out of five. I mean, that's a tough challenge physically for any of them. Here's my thing with this, though, is like you said, my biggest sort of hindrance on his game is just the lack of free points he gets on serve. Sure. Um, I mean, look at this. He doesn't He doesn't have an ace in this match. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, just especially the men's game at this level, I mean, it's just it's difficult to sort of get through that many service games without having some go-to points. And you saw it when he was trying to close out the match. Now, I'm incredibly glad that he was able to close it out because I love watching him and I love his style of play, but... You know, he's serving for the match multiple times and doesn't get it done because he doesn't have the ability to get those free points off of serve like other big guys in this sort of realm do. You know, and so that's going to be something that he's going to be battling for a long time and definitely something he's going to be looking to improve as he moves up the ranks. Uh, the final thoughts on this match, you look at the break points, FAA 4 of 13, Nishioka 5 of 10. I think I had plenty of chances to win this match, and the fact that he was able to come back from 1-5 down, so encouraging. You know, you look at the live rankings for these guys. FAA number 55, Nishioka number 63. We keep talking about it, the Feliciano Lopez's, the, um, I, I'm struggling with other names, I guess the Jill Simones of the world. They're phasing out, you know, there's a new generation coming up. We see them slowly ascending the rankings, and it's going to be so fun to watch these guys uh, continue to play throughout the 2019 season. But l- let's transition to our next thing. As Hold we on, met- real quick. Oh, I like ageless. it. <laughs> Just remember that. I mean, ageless. Looks wise, I agree, but I, I don't know about. It's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, he's. I, I've said it before. He's the litmus test. If you can beat him, you're good. You deserve to be in the top 50. But let's transition to our next thing. As we've mentioned, there's so much tennis in Indian Wells. It's hard to keep track with everything. We want to read through the day's results. I'm going to start with the women's singles, and then, Jamie, uh, you can hit us with the men's. And if you have any comments about any of these matches, feel free to stop me. Uh, let's start with the upsets. We had number 21 seed, Annette Conteve, taking out Sevastova, 5-0. Sevastova retires at that point. Not sure if that quantifies as an upset, but still good for Conteve. We had Bartel taking out Georgie, 7-5, 1-6, 6-4. Georgie, the number 15 seed. Great win for Bartel. And then the other matches, we had Naomi Osaka taking out Danielle Collins, 6-4-6-2. Collins is going to lose a ton of points after last year's event, but still, you know, it's, it's just a testament to how well Naomi Osaka is playing that she beat an informed Danielle Collins that smoothly. You had number five seed Carolina Pliskova taking out Bonaventure, 6-3-6-2. Number eight seed, Angelique Kerber, taking out Natalia Vicula on Steva. I'm not sure if I got that right. I apologize. Hey, great shot in three. Uh, Arniana Sabalenka takes out Lysia Tsarenko, 6-2-7-5. Sabalenka, the number nine seed. Belinda Bencic, my early pick to win the tournament, takes out Alexandrova, 6-4-6-2. And Venus Williams takes out Christina McHale in an All-American battle, 6-2-7-5. Good for Venus to continue getting these wins. I know we'll talk about her when we mention our matches we'll be watching tomorrow. But with that, Jamie, hit me with the men's results. We got your men's results first. We start with the all-German affair. That's Struff against Zverev. The surprise of the day. Biggest one on the men's side for sure. Only drops four games to Zverev. Did you catch any of that match? So I've, I read about this, and people were making a big fuss. But I have also heard that Alex Zverev was in Alex Zverev. Alex Zverev was incredibly sick, and yeah. he had something he's dealing with. Yeah. And you could kind of tell something was off. Still, credit to Struff, who played an incredible match. 
yeah, you don't even know Zverev would have gotten through his past round, but he got a default or he got a retirement right through the last round. So that's probably how he even made it through if he was that sick in the first place. But I, I think he was up in the match. But yeah, the point is, right? You know, not not the most shocking. Anyway, Struve comes through on that one. Good opportunity for him moving through the draw. Kesminovic comes through also over his fellow countrymen, 6-2-7-6. I got to stop you here. Miomir Kesminovic, 19 years old. He's a lucky loser in this event, but he lost to Giron in three sets in qualifying, so not a terrible loss given what we saw from him. He got a bye and he ended up beating Martyr in the second round. He's up now to a live ranking of number 105. In this match, he wins 66% of his first serves, 58% of his second serves, holds Jira to 36 and 10 of. Uh, 29 overall on second serve points on a slow court again it's sort of like Nishioka this guy's able to work so many angles you feel a pressure to to come to the net to try and end a point and then he's going to get a passing you know whiz a passing shot by you I really love the weapons at this guy's uh, disposal from the ground considering that you know the clay season it's a slower pace a lot of these hard courts are playing so slow he doesn't have the biggest serve yet he's not the biggest guy but he's got a ton of weapons and another young guy if you're a fan of tennis yeah you got to be monitoring yeah fair enough any more thoughts on that one you want me to go to the what we would call less interesting results yeah well now that i feel like i'm kind of pushing you out do you have any thoughts on kasmanovic no, I think you said it all there, Chief. <laughs> don't worry. We're keeping it short, remember? I don't even know. What's our time check right now? You got it? We're, we're at about the 16, 17-minute mark. Jeez, we got to roll. All right. Well, for the other matches, let's fly. Um, in a not-competitive match, team takes out Simone, 6-3, six, 6-1. Six, uh, then in an even less competitive match, we have Monfi taking out Rama Spinola, 6-0-6-3. Finally, we got Dr. Evo, Mr. Breaking His Own Records Every Single Day, taking out the Indian Gunnisoir in 6-3, 7-6. Six, yeah, uh, crazy for Karlovich. Two wins at a Masters event, so three wins now over the age of 40. Uh, so impressive by him. Monfils, you think Monfils could win the tournament given how well he's playing? It's that it's that Spitalina work ethic he's got in him. That's what's happening right <laughs> it's not now. Even, it's just having such a great support group. I'd be like, I have my girlfriend who's a top 10 player in the world sitting in my like courtside box. This is awesome. Like, I got to play well. I mean, yeah, so I always say that, but... So here's the thing with Mafia is like you look at him, he's playing great, he's playing great, but then he gets to the point where he's playing a Djokovic and it just suddenly goes out the window. Or flip side, Novak is just so good that you know it just makes him look bad. I don't know what it is, but it's tough to put my cards in on Monfi against one of the big names. So I don't know. I'd love to see him win this event. That'd be a great. That'd be an awesome end. It's just so awesome to see him healthy. I think True. that's the most important part. Yeah. He's clearly, Absolutely. he feels good out there, and we can tell as fans, and it's so enjoyable to watch. Yeah. Another thing for fans of tennis, if you're sick of Indian Wells, if you want to look at a different level of the game, because there is always more tennis going on, a ton of great college results that we're not going to touch on today, but hopefully we get to talk about them later in the week. There are two challengers going on this week that if you're a listener of our other podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, if you're a follower of our Cracked Rackets content, you know a lot of these players we are very interested in. I want to start with the more fascinating of the two draws. You look this week at the inaugural Phoenix Challenger. Uh, This is an event going through this week. It ends before the start of Miami, and because of that, players who lost early in Indian Wells who want to get more matches under their belt— they really were attracted to this tournament. You look at some of the seeds. Number one seed, David Goffin. Number two seed, Jeremy Chardy. Three, John Millman. Four, Mikhail Kokoshkin. Five, Matthew Ebden. Six, Matteo Berrettini. 
I mean, Jamie, I, I, I think we talked about it about the Indian Wells. I think this was you who asked me, I can't believe Kyle Edmonds playing it. Is that even allowed? And then you look here, you've got just a laundry list of top 50 players. It's incredible. Stacked is what we call this draw. Absolutely stacked. All 16 of the seeds are in the top 100. I, I just think it's a stroke of genius for whoever planned this event. I also think it's a perfect opportunity for players who did lose early to get more matches under their belt. I see no—I mean, you know, this speaks to the flaws of the transition tour that so many players who desperately need points, and this is the only type of event they could get into, are getting boxed out. And That's, that's a, what I was about to say. Yeah, that's, that's a separate yeah. issue, and, and I'm sorry for, you know, arguing with myself. But at the same time, yeah, at the same time, if you are these players, you know, a David Goffin, it makes sense for him to play this, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, why not get some get some court time in, get some decent experience in before you have to head over to Miami? You know, I, I totally get it, um, and it makes sense. It's better than just, hey, if you have a disappointing exit, to just sit there and think about it before your next one. No, I mean, if you have a chance to get some good experience, go out there and play some matches, do it. So I absolutely understand it from that viewpoint. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think we can leave that there. The other challenger I wanted to mention, just real quick, the Drummondsville challenger. Now, this doesn't have as big of names, but again, if you're a fan of the challenger circuit, college tennis, you will recognize these. You have J.J. Wolf, who won today, and of course, in his absence, Ohio State loses to Texas A&M on the road. Again, something we'll touch on another time. Borna Gojo got a win today. Wake Forest survived 4-3 against UCF, I think, on Sunday, so... Again, something we'll talk about at a different time. Dennis Novikov win today. Michael Redlicky won today. Ulysses Blanche won today. Roy Smith, Stefan Kozlov, Josh Peck, Evan King, all losers today. But still to play, Colin Altamirano, Mikhail Torpegard, Christian Harrison, Ty Kwiatkowski, JC Aragoni, Ricardus Barankas. So much talent week in, week out at the challenger level. My final question to you, Jamie, and this gets back to the J.J. Wolf-Borna Gojo thing. Mm. Any thoughts on college players playing professional events during the dual season? It's interesting, you know. I think, I think in this swing of the season, you look at it, and you know, if it's not really, if it's not totally impacting the outcome of a season, you know, I think this is where it becomes one of those things where, hey, if you have a real chance to make an impact at one of these pro level tournaments, you know, your teammates aren't or your coaches, whatever, they're not going to be dinging you for going to play this, right? And it's like, I, I feel like you're not leaving them out to dry so much. Now, if if this is like a really high stakes match. And there's a lot on the line, whether it be conference or toward the end of the year. Uh, that's a different discussion. But in this stage of the season, I don't know. Does, I mean, is that fair to say? Like, it's fine? I don't I mean, I don't know. Look, I don't think the, we're knocking these people. Given the transition tour rules, these guys have to play. They just have to. And Gojo Wolf are going to get into a lot of events now. Yeah. You can't hold it against them. No, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, especially if now, I don't know, I mean – I don't know if it's your teammate or your coach, whatever, it, depending on the time frame, part of it right now. No, you absolutely can't hold it against them. But you know, if it's a super high impact match, you know, it's a little later in the season. What about then? How, how does that conversation go? I mean, that's a tough call for the player. If the player really thinks that pro event is so impactful, if, then that's a decision. It's the player's decision. I have no the fault. Decision. They have to do it. it. It's literally at a point where given the turmoil, you have to make that call. 
And if you're and say you are a teammate, it is a big match. I mean, what what are your thoughts if if your number one's going, hey, I gotta go play this? I mean, what what's in your head? What are you gonna tell? You're like, I gotta step up. You're like, I get it. Yeah, I appreciate. Yeah. J- you know, I'm exactly, sorry for yeah. using his name, but it's like, thankfully, JJ didn't go pro. He could have after he won Columbus, and he didn't. And so, like, thank you. I I get what you're you're making that commitment. I get it. You're here yeah. to to prepare for your professional tennis career. You're not here to be an Ohio State student. Do what you gotta do. And that's right. not to no, say he's I'm, not there to be an Ohio State student, but I'm saying long term. Sure, sure. No, that totally makes sense. All right. Well, then let's move on to our final bit of tennis, you know, real hardcore tennis related things on this podcast. That, of course, is previewing tomorrow's matches. You will be hearing this on Tuesday. So we're going to be talking about the matches you should be watching during the day. Jamie, start off. Give me the three matches you'll be watching most closely. Mm, well, two of them have to start with the fellow countrymen playing themselves. Okay, so today we had Germany They're and Serbia going at. Well, the countrymen are playing against fellow countrymen. They're playing <laughs> of the same country. You know, this is disrespectful. You make me stay up late, and then I'm so tired I can barely formulate sentences, and I'm still catching flack from you. Anyway, we we saw Germany and Serbia today. Tomorrow. It's the Swiss guys and the Russian guys. Vavrenka Federer and Rublev Kachanov both play tomorrow. I'm going to be very closely watching those matches. That's going to be a lot of fun. My other one that I want to watch, Schwartzman Nadal. I think that's that could be a ton of fun, especially like we've talked about, you know, a little bit warmer temperatures, slower courts. You know, you never know what's going to happen. And if Nadal really is peak Nadal, then always worth watching. Totally fair. I'm going to throw in one more on the men's side. Shapovalov, Chilich. Shapovalov, you see the success FAA has. You have to imagine if he's in, he's like, man, don't forget about me. I'm I'm top 30 already. Like, I've, I've done all of this. I made a final in Montreal. Like, don't, don't you forget about me. And he gets another opportunity against Chilich, a guy who uh, I, we forget about him, but he's always around the top 10. I think he just fell out for the first time, but it's not because he's not good enough. It's just because he hasn't been healthy. So a great test there. On the women's side, I said Benchich is going to win the tournament. She plays Osaka tomorrow. Big I mean, one. That, yeah, that's must-see TV. Really looking forward to that. Sabalenka Kerber is going to be really good. Venus Bartel is going to be really good. Tomorrow's going to be a fantastic Tuesday because – yeah. yeah, fantastic Tuesday. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting my days so screwed up with I'm all this mini break stuff. You're keeping me late. That's <laughs> yeah. what it is. It's just because it's so late. No, we record Mondays for Tuesdays, Tuesdays for Wednesdays. I literally think in my head after we recorded Thursday, I was like, oh, the week's over. And nope, you still got Friday to get through. But we're a a ton of great tennis, so you're going to want to stick around all week because we've got the full round of 16 tomorrow for the women. Yeah, and just you've got eight men's matches as well. So much great tennis. You're not going to want to miss any of it. But with that, let's do our final segment of the show. This is one we're going to be doing every Tuesday. We call this Twitter Tuesday. Westoff, give me a Twitter Tuesday sound effect. (laughs) Jamie, last time I had Rothman, so this is your first time on Twitter Tuesday. What we like to do at this part of the show, we talk about some of the best storylines on tennis Twitter because it is really such a vibrant part of the tennis Twitter, or just tennis community in general. It feels like it's a valued part of the game at this point. Maybe I just spend too much time on it. But Maybe to us it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but we want to promote it because it really is a fun space. And I want to I want to let you start. What is the tweet to you that stood out the most from the past week? Oh, from the past week. Or well, just in general. Okay, well... One of mine that I put down is a big-time throwback. We'll save that one. Um, 
the one that was most entertaining for me is actually let's let's give a little cracked rackets plug here uh <laughs> one of our own we <laughs> give credit to uh Gornet first he saw and put some in our group message about this guy from big day to tennis um, putting out some huge title that claims that Serena would beat nine out of ten male seeds at Indian Wells this year. Um, so had to put a tweet out about that. It's gotten quite a bit of traction. Hubs from Barstool put out a little thing on it, and uh, it's gained a lot, but it's pretty funny. Basically, this guy's going through saying that Serena has a 90% chance of beating Kevin Anderson. And uh, let's just say people have gone a little wild in the comments. It's been fun to watch. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. It's... It's a lot. I'm sticking away from this one. Nothing Fair. good. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Nothing There's good. nothing good. Yeah. But at the same time, so that's my thing is like I was thinking that nothing good can come from this, but I also couldn't restrain myself. No, I was like, no. all right, come on. We got to put something out here. Come on. It's it's a fascinating uh, topic. I, I definitely agree. But I'm going to get to my number one as well. Uh, this was a fun video. It didn't I think it came out Friday. It was from the Tennis TV account. They did a fun parody of Cards Against Humanity. That's a board game. You get a question and you're supposed to answer with funny answers. For all the answers they gave, you know, the, the host was Grigor Dimitrov. He would ask the question. Then the panel of Nick Kyrgios, John Isner, Kyle Edmund uh, all gave funny answers. Kyrgios ended up winning the event. Dimitrov said the jokes he made were the funniest along the way. And this leads me to my question with you jamie if you're doing a skit like this you have the judge and then you need three funny players who's your panel oh god um can keep i in mind, use any it's of the mini- ones yeah you that can, are in this or no totally you can reuse but keep in mind it's a mini break what does that mean be fast <laughs> yeah exactly okay well one of them has to be curious still because a he has to defend his title apparently um, <laughs> and because he's so candid like, his only title that. to defend I know. Come on, he just won one. <laughs> Couldn't he, resist. He can't Get be throwing cheap game. shots in like that. <laughs> um, I think Federer, just because he's like the old awkward man, and so he's going to say some weird things, and you're going to, and people are going to be like, "Dude, what are you talking about? Like, what are you, like, what are you saying right now?" Hard counterpoint to that, it would ruin his goat status if people found out he wasn't funny. Oh, you know, but he people okay, people should already know that he's like pretty awkward, right? <laughs> like that guy's weird. No disagreement then, for me. And then finally, I think I'd throw someone in there like TFO. I think he'd be fun <laughs> to watch in this. I think that'd be entertaining. So in terms of the judge, I'm just trying to think who's a funny guy who could really keep everyone in check, kind of delegate well. I don't hate Djokovic as the judge. I think he would be pretty engaging. He may overplay his role. He may overact. Uh, but Yeah, he's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely want Nadal in there because I'm just fascinated by what goes on in Rafa Nadal's mind. I think it would be such an interesting thing to see. I definitely want Ernest Golbus because I just think Golbus is hilarious. I should have put Tomic in there. Who comes from royalty. Exactly. He's gotten, like Tomic, he's got nothing to lose. See, instead of Federer, my weird person, it might be Osaka. Because just the contrast between her and Golbus and Nadal... Oh, what an odd couple. I'm all in on that. So I think that would be my pairing. Um, But let's move on. I wanted to mention another one real quick. Um, Just this is on. We're going to do a show on this later. But the perpetual fight over Brad Gilbert. And there are some members of the Crack Rackets team who can remain nameless who are not the biggest fans of his. I happen to think he's hilarious. One of the things he tweeted this week talking about Felix Ogier-Alassim and the nicknames, he goes, so many want Felix the cat. He put a cat emoji, and I'm just going to enunciate the emoji so you guys know. Um, and then there was a typo, and he goes, I'm not crazy, wink face with tongue out. 
about it. He said, I. I have to have for FAA at Feller Bob likes Felix Unger. Great odd couple reference. Way too young for a king crown emoji Felix. Let's see what also kind of like FAA rules. Let's see at Felix likes. I don't know what that means in English, but I assume they're talking about the FAA nickname. To which Felix Ogier Alassim promptly responds, I'm good with FAA. So I think it's settled. I think FAA is what we go with. Fair enough. But yeah, that tweet is difficult to get through, <laughs> even for an expert like yourself. That was a lot. That was that was something. That's a tough, tough scene there. Yeah. Any other ones on the Canadian front? Any others you want to mention? Canadian front as in I'm supposed to be coming up with nicknames for this guy? No, as in you want to talk about Shapovalov? Oh, no, yeah, I know. Well, I was hoping you'd give me the chance for that. Um, so, <laughs> two points on the Canadian. Uh, actually, you know what? We'll save the other one for later. No, do them we'll both. I go. like it. Do them both. Okay, so my question, this is getting back into actual tennis, sorry. Um, do you think <laughs> that the whole thing with Chapo and FAA coming up together, do you see them as being legitimate, true rivals through everything with very similar careers? Or do you think one is going to eclipse the other? So I think on a personal level, I know they're very, very close. So if mm-hmm. you're looking for an, an, an you know a rivalry filled with animosity, that's not going to be the the case. This isn't going to be early Courier versus early Agassi. I do think they're going to play, uh, and maybe not that often in terms of Grand Slam finals because there are so many young stars who will be breaking through. But they're going to see each other in round of 16s, quarterfinals, the occasional Masters semifinal. They're definitely going to be a lot of, hopefully for us fans, a lot of head-to-head encounters. I do think because, you know, they grew up together because they'll play Davis Cup together. There's never going to be that sort of animosity, but it will certainly be fun. I I don't know if that's a cop-out. But it'll be okay. fun to watch them go. I mean, they're both going to be successful if that's what you're looking for. I just didn't know. I just didn't know if you had an opinion one way or the other. If you thought one was going to have a much better career than the other, like if one was going to be very, very successful, you know, top five all the time, the other one was going to be a little bit lower. Or if you think they're pretty comparable and they'll sort of pan out similar ways, I don't know. That's a long term topic. Too soon to tell. Fair, very fair. They are both very young, but. In other Canadian news, this is by no means a recent yeah, social media post, both on Instagram and people were blowing up on Twitter about it. Back at the end of 2018, I just had the fortune of seeing this this week. Shapovalov rapping. Boy, is that a treat. That was absolutely terrible. Um, it's horrible. He should stick to tennis. I mean, it's tough on all levels. Whatever he's saying, the lyrics, trash. The way he's delivering it, also bad. You know, I, I respect the guy a little bit less now, you know, it's just it's tough to watch. So if you haven't checked it out, uh, go on the old Instagram, open up uh, Shapovalov's user, and just scroll down a bit to about the end of November in 2018, I believe, and uh, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's it's something else. It's brutal. Just just not good. I will... <laughs> he gets in, he gets introduced as Shapo with some really nice gold font over his face, and then it launches right into it, and it is. It's it's tough. Look, do what you got to do, but when he's 25 and top 10 and looking back at his early mistakes, that will be one of them. Like, there's no yeah, doubt oh, in yeah. my mind. Oh, yeah. For and, sure. And people better be there to remind him of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hopefully Cracked Rackets will be there to remind yeah. him of it. Amen. Uh, 
Well, then, I want to just do two more, and we can wrap up. Uh, one on a kind of sad note, Ty Kwiatkowski, uh, in, in his quest to kind of bring light of how you know, stupid some of the ITF transition tour and ATP Challenger level rules are, tweeted this, that his accountant sent me my 2018 tax returns today, net loss of 63k and 100k loans payable, but on the bright side, no taxes to be paid this year. Glad I went to business school so I can read the balance sheet, hashtag how good is the tour. Even worse, you know, piling on Jared Hiltzik response. It's sad when my 2018 net loss of 37k and 50k loans payable sounds like I walked away with a steal. I mean, guys, we can solve this. I'm not saying Jared Hiltzik and Ty Kwiatkowski should be millionaires. I don't think anyone's saying that, but I mean, they should be able to make a living. They are that good at their craft, and it is. I, I just we have to find a way to promote this. We have to find a way to solve this problem. When in the past four years the Australian Open prize money has gone up thirty percent, it shouldn't be possible that people ranked in the top four hundred like Hiltzik and Kwiatkowski are taking that big of personal losses. No, it's it's wild, and the thing too. I mean, with this, like you said, the the tennis community, especially around Twitter, rallies quite a bit with each other, um, and so hopefully we kind of see this, you know, sort of piling on with multiple players sharing these sharing these experiences because you know that this isn't limited to one or two people that are having you know all of these problems on the tour. It's it's all of these people trying to make it on the tour, and it's crazy because they are insanely talented, um, and even if they haven't quite quite caught their breakthrough yet or whatever the story is i mean it's insane to be sort of just incurring these losses and you know expected to for that to be fine you know that's crazy yeah agree with you well then my last topic something to kind of brighten the mood i think this is going to become a staple of twitter tuesday stefano Tsitsipas' latest tweet one thing that is pot is one thing that is impossible is to meet every single person on planet earth and with that jamie any final thoughts for this tuesday yeah, I responded to his tweet immediately with because, you know, he's big Adidas tennis guy. So I responded with the Adidas banner that says impossible is nothing. And I thought that was fine. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. That's good. Well, then we will leave things there. Super shout out to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f- <laughs> an editing job to do as always. Shout out to our entire team at Cracked Rackets who are keeping you guys up to date with tremendous content. Be on the lookout for all things on our website. Be on the lookout for a new Great Shot podcast dropping later this week with Carousel about the ITF transition tour. Be on the lookout for our latest Cracked Interviews podcast where Luca Corintelli of the University of Virginia comes on to talk about that. But one last time for my wonderful co-host Jamie McDonald, for our super producers Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, and for our entire team at Cracked Rackets, I'm your host Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell our fans? That's a break. Oh, so unenthusiastic, but I should have expected nothing less. It is late, and we hope you guys enjoy Tuesday. Tuesday.